Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you for joining us for this week's podcast. We pray the Lord speaks to you as you hear His Word today. Well, good morning. As Cale just mentioned, my name is Matt Garrison, and I serve as the online campus pastor here at Bible Center. Those of you joining us online want to say welcome to you. We're so glad that you're here and you are a part of the Bible Center family. It's been a week, huh? Maybe a couple weeks. Some of you are thinking, dude, it's been an 18 months, maybe almost two years. Uh, we're still kind of in this pandemic. And when we started out with this series, uh, you know, if we knew then what we know now, we would have renamed it. Uh, as Mike said, I think not again. I could see the hand on the forehead emoji. You know, kind of maybe some of you are thinking that same way. But, uh, you know, as I was thinking too, like, you know, even where we're here right now, like we're still the church. Like in the middle of a pandemic, when we couldn't meet, when things were closed off, guess what? We still met together to worship. It was virtual, but we still met together. And when groups were kind of, we couldn't meet in groups, we still met in smaller groups. We belonged to one another, but it was maybe through Zoom or Google Meets. We still belong to one another in groups and serve. Like we're talking about today, we still serve as the church. I remember hearing stories of some of you and maybe some of you online making gowns or clothing for our PPE clothing for our healthcare professionals. Heard stories of some of you getting groceries or supplies and delivering them to people who couldn't come out. Like we were still the church even in the middle of a pandemic and we're gonna continue to be the church no matter what happens. And so today we're gonna talk about serve. And so let's jump in here together. My friend Eric uh, was found himself in a pretty crazy situation in college one time. It's dinner time, he's in the cafeteria. And so he gets the food that he wants and he wants something to drink. And so he gets in line and he decides on this particular day, he wants sweet tea, right? Any sweet tea lovers in here? Anybody yeah, there you online? Just kind of say, hey, I love sweet tea if that's you, right? Sweet tea is delicious. It's maybe one of God's good gifts. Uh, I grew up in Michigan in the North and some restaurants you go into even to this day and you say, I'll, I'll take sweet tea. They're, they have no idea what you're talking about. Like what? I mean, it's a definitely a Southern thing, but sweet tea is delicious. So he says, I want some sweet tea. So Eric, a little bit of a background information on Eric. If you've ever seen the show Seinfeld, there's a character there by the, on that show by the name of Cosmo Kramer. And he's kind of spastic. He would always enter the room just kind of just present himself and it was really loud. And you're like, oh, I'll kind of almost startle you. That was Eric. He would do that I mean, almost verbatim the same way. Just that's who he was. He wasn't trying to imitate Kramer, but he'd walk into our dorm room. We're just like, oh, hello, Eric. You know, kind of a thing. So he goes to get his sweet tea. Just that's kind of how he moved. He was going to go in and fast. So as he puts his cup here and he grabs the handle, he did not know that the handle was loose. And so as he pulls down, the handle goes doo -doo 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 -doo, and starts shooting tea out this way, sideways, all right? Now, no big deal, unfortunately, for the poor girl who was next to him at almost the same time was going to get her soda or pop. How many call it soda? Online, what do you call it, soda or pop? Right, some of us call it pop, right? So she's here, but now the sweet tea, remember, is going sideways, so it's hitting her sweatshirt. It looked brand new, it looked really crisp, clean, and how do I know so much about the stories? Because I'm about seven people, eight people behind Eric watching all this unfold. And so, <laughs> this is great. 
he's kind of like, oh my goodness. It's kind of one of those things too, where when it's happening, you realize it's happening. You're like, this shouldn't be happening. But you realize like, oh, I, I need to stop right now. Like I can stop what I'm doing and things will, will, will improve. But it's kind of like, you're just watching this train wreck in front of you and you're like, what's going on? So he's kind of doing this for a second. I mean, it's just splashing and she's not moving either. And he finally comes to like, oh, he lets it go. And again, there, he's apologizing to her profusely. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Now again, I'm back behind, so I'm kind of seeing the side profile. And she's like, her lips are pursed a little bit, you know? Like she's really, she's really mad. I was like, oh, Eric, man, what a loser, dude. Like seriously, man, like you gotta be kidding me. So she's like, okay, you, know, you could tell she was really mad, but she was just being nice. So one would think that if this was the way in which one found the sweet tea lever, that you would go in more gingerly, more softly, right? Not Eric. Same force, same speed. Boom. This time, the whole handle, apparatus, whatever you want to call it, is in his hand. What's happening to the sweet tea? It is shooting straight out for him. It's landing. It's getting everywhere. And so this is all happening super fast. All he can do, he looks to his right, looks to his left, shoves his thumb in the sweet tea. Now, the whole sweet tea now is, is gone, right? Like it's who wants somebody else's thumb in their sweet tea? Nobody, but, right? So he does it. So he's looking around. And so I'm watching this train wreck unfold. <laughs> I'm like, dude, this is awesome. I'm loving it. Then I remember this thought hits my head. I'm thinking, wait a minute. If he turns around and sees me, what's gonna happen? Or if I go get somebody to help him right here now, like they're gonna associate me with Eric, which then means I'm part of this train wreck as well. Or, I could just pretend like I'm just gonna get out of line. And like, if he turns around and sees me, he's thinking, I'm just walking past. I don't know what just happened. So I decide I'm gonna be a good friend because he's, he's one of my best friends. So what do I do? I take my tray and I turn around and I start walking to my table. But what I didn't know was that at the same time I turn one way, he turns around and sees me leave. Like he knew that I knew that he was in trouble, but I left him stranded. So what do you think happens when he comes to the table? We have a little conversation. He's like, dude, what are you doing? And so we're having it out, just fun, messing around with him. Like, dude, I wasn't gonna be associated with that train wreck. Like, what are you doing? You know, kind of a thing. But here's the question I have for you. Have you ever been stranded? Have you ever been in need of help? If so, online, tell us right now, say, I've been stranded. How many of us have ever found ourselves being stranded? Maybe it was in a car. You're driving along, engine trouble, flat tire, out of gas, you have to pull over. We're stranded. We need help. Maybe you've been in some situations that have been crazier than Eric's or even more crazy, if you will, of a, a car being on the side of the road. Maybe it was more serious. In these moments when we find ourselves stranded, what are the thoughts and feelings that come into our minds? Some of them, if we're honest, they can be nerve-wracking, can't they? Like seriously nerve-wracking. Others, I mean, maybe depending on our situation, it causes us to have a panic attack like a full-blown, legit panic attack. And so we try to get out of these situations as soon as we can. We need help. And so let's see what God says about serving others because that's when we talk about serving others, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about helping others. And so if you have a Bible or Bible app, turn with me to Matthew chapter 20. Matthew chapter 20. And what we're gonna do is uh, we're gonna read verses 17 through 28. But as we go through this real event that happened in the life of Jesus, we're gonna pause and we'll talk a little bit about these verses and then we'll come back out and talk about how we can apply what we've read. So Matthew chapter 20, 
verse 17, it says this. Now, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the 12 aside and said to them, we're gonna hit pause. Why this is important is because if it was just Jesus and the 12, he wouldn't have to take them aside. So what this is inferring is that there's a group of people with Jesus. And when it says the 12, these are 12 of Jesus' closest followers. These are the disciples, those that he's been pouring his life into. And so he has something he wants to share with them. And so what does he share as he pulls them aside away from the group? He says this, he says, we are going up to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles. Read Romans right there to the Romans. There he's gonna be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. So this is the third, what the scholars call the passion prediction that's in Matthew, where Jesus tells his disciples really the purpose why he came, that he's going to die. But in this third prediction, we get a lot more detail about really what's happening. Earlier on in those predictions, it's, hey, we're gonna go up to Jerusalem. Uh, I'm gonna be uh, killed on the third day. I'm gonna be risen from the dead. But here we, we kind of start to see really the way it's gonna happen. The religious rulers, these Jewish rulers are gonna actually hand him over to the Romans. The Romans are gonna be the ones to carry this out where he's gonna be mocked, he's gonna be humiliated. He's gonna be flogged, he'll be crucified. But then on the third day, he's gonna rise again. Now, this is something we might call like a sobering moment. Like, how do you process what Jesus just told these guys? If you were there with them, how would you process it? Like, whoa, so you're, you're gonna be killed, like beaten, you're gonna be whipped, you're, you're gonna be humiliated? Like, you are the Messiah. Like, this is really sobering moment, kind of like, whoa, what, what do we do here? What do we do? But let's find out what happens next. They get back together. It says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus. I'm in verse 20. With her sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. What is it you want? He asked. She said, grant that one of these two sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup that I am going to drink? We can, they answered. And Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my cup but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my father. So picture what just happened. This is a huge sobering moment. Jesus tells these 12 disciples. Two of them were James and John. And so when we read the mother of Zebedee's sons, that's who it's referring to, James and John. And so those two, along with their mom, come in respectful way to Jesus because they have a request. So Jesus grants the request. What is it? And essentially what she's saying is that, hey, when you come in your kingdom, like when you're filling out your cabinet, like if you're a president, you have a cabinet, can my sons sit in places of honor? Essentially saying, hey, Jesus, it's cool that you're going to the cross. You just told them that. And they, James and John know this. Hey, that's cool. You're going to be beaten. Got it. You're going to be humiliated. Sure, sure. You know, and, and you're going to be killed and, and crucified. It's going to be horrible. But hey, you know, flip side of that, right? There's always a, a silver lining. Hey, after that, you're going to be in your kingdom. So when that happens, can we sit in these places of honor? They totally missed the point. They missed what Jesus was trying to tell them and communicate with them. They missed it. And so what's, what we miss in English as we read it in Greek is when Jesus responds to them, 
He says, you don't know what you're asking. It's the second person plural in Greek, which means he's talking to James and John, which then tells us that he's talking to them and it's, hey, can we sit in places of honor? He's like, you don't know what you're asking. So he doesn't even look at the mom. He's looking at them, knowing that they, these jokers, put their mom up to this. Like it was their idea. They wanted to be great. I mean, they ha- think about it. They had their mom do their dirty work. They missed it. And so I have a question for us. Have we ever missed it? Have we ever missed the point of what God was trying to tell us? I've seen and heard lots of things being in ministry over two decades now. And I can tell you at times people have missed it. For instance, God has definitely been moving at times. People are coming to faith. People are getting baptized. Life change is happening, right? Addictions are being broken. Marriages are being restored. I mean, God is definitely moving in the midst. And they'll come up to you like even after a Sunday and things are, I mean, God has been moving. It's been amazing to see, so encouraging. And just like, we're praising God and they'll come up to you and they'll say, listen, I wanted frosting on this donut. Or they'll say, hey, yeah, it's cool whatever happened in there, you know, God moving great, but where are the donuts? Or, hey, this coffee, I mean, it's better than nothing, but when are we gonna get good coffee? In those moments, if I'm totally being transparent, you know what I wanna do? I'm like, you're missing it. We are missing the point. Like, how can you, like, did you not just see what? But then I realize I am no different. I miss it all the time as well. I miss things that God wants to show me because I'm so wrapped up in myself. For instance, several, this is many years ago, my parents lived in Michigan. I went back to the church where they attended the one I grew up in. We're there, it's the worship time, music is playing. And again, as I'm sharing the story, don't judge me, all right? I don't think this way anymore, but the music was a style or it was just not my preference. So much so that I begin to have this type of a conversation with God. Looking around because I'm not thinking about the lyrics. I'm not worshiping because it's not my particular style. I'm bored. I'm looking, I'll never forget this. This was a God moment. I look to my left and I'm looking at person after person and I'm having this kind of a conversation with God. I'm like, look over here, God. They're not worshiping you. They're not, they're not, their mouth's not moving. They're not singing. They're not engaged in this. They're bored. They look bored out of their mind. As I say, God, see, nobody can worship you with this style of music. They can't. No sooner I say that, and I'm kind of turning my head this way, I get right here, three rows in front of me is a dear sister. Her hands are raised up in the air, and she is praising and worshiping her Savior. I could not have been more wrong. And the reason why I believe it was really a God moment is that this church was kind of more ultra conservative where there was no clapping. If somebody were to sing or play a song or a solo of some sort, like there was no clapping. It was just a hearty amen, like outward shows of expressions of worship just didn't really happen. So the fact that she's there worshiping her savior was like a huge kind of imprint in me realizing I am wrong. I missed it. I could have been focused on the lyrics of what were being sung, that were worshiping my savior. And so again, James and John, they missed it. The rest of the disciples missed it. 
How do we know this? Well, how do you think they're going to respond when they find out that James and John, who were, again, part of the 12, they were colleagues, they find out, like, what did you guys just do? How do you think they responded? Let's pick it up. Verse 24. When the 10 heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. They're ticked off. They're mad. But I wish it could have been like a righteous anger. Like, didn't you guys just hear what Jesus told us when he took us aside? Like, this is all, like, just five seconds ago? Like, but it's not. This was different. This was an anger of a kind of, how dare you? Who do you think you are? Do you think you're better than us? And so I wish we could sit here and say, like, this was a one-time thing. But it wasn't. And some scholars believe that actually the mother of James and John, her name was Salome, was related. It was Mary's, the mother who gave birth to Jesus, the lady who gave birth to Jesus. They were sisters. And so they're kind of like, a, they think maybe this was a form of nepotism, trying to use the family connection to get this position of authority. And so when the 10 heard this, they're like, dude, no, this is ridiculous. They're upset because how do we know this? Early on as well, you read all throughout the gospels that these 12 dudes always fought over who was gonna be the greatest. I'm number one. No, you're not. I'm number one. What do you mean you're number one? What do you guys talk about? I'm number one. Like, look at all these people here. Look what I'm doing. Like, I'm number one. Well, no, you're a loser is what you are. I'm number one because, and they're just fighting all the time. So what does Jesus say? Does Jesus respond? He does. Let's look at his response. Jesus called them together and he said this, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, that their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you or among you, it's going to be different. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as I, the son of man, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's how Jesus responds. And so what is he doing? Jesus takes the script and he flips it. He takes the world's way of thinking and turns it upside down. Because the world says, listen, be, be the greatest. Do whatever it takes to be successful. Burn any bridge you have to. Whatever that, whatever, whatever that means, burn it. Be the greatest. Use anybody, hurt anybody on your way to the top. Why care about other people? They're gonna do the same to you. Do it first. Remember, it's all about you. Do whatever you have to do to get ahead. And then once you make it to the top, be sure to use that influence, that control to flaunt it over those underneath you. Like, see, I told you I was number one. I got here. And so Jesus says to his disciples, no, among you, it's going to be different. Not so with you. This is the world's way. We're gonna turn it upside down. This is the way. Meaning, if you wanna, if you wanna be the greatest, if you wanna lead, serve. Be a servant. If you want to be first, be last. Again, Jesus is taking this and he's turning it upside down. And so the bottom line that we're talking through today is this, is that if you want to change the world, serve others. If you want to change the world, serve others. Because the world, what do we talk about when we're saying the world? That's the communities that we live in, that we work in, that we go to school and that we shop in. Out there, that's a dog eat dog world, isn't it? Some of you may have experienced this firsthand. So again, they're telling us, do whatever you want, whatever you have to, to get ahead. If that means you got to use people to get that promotion, go for it. 
If you've got to abuse people to get the money that you need to live the lifestyle you want, go for it. If you have to talk trash about other people so you can get the social status that you're really wanting, go for it. People are expendable. Again, use them before they use you. That's the world's way. And Jesus says, no, it's going to be different. We're going to serve others sacrificially, selflessly. That's how we're going to gain influence in the world. That's how we're going to turn it upside down. There's a quote that I want to read from Tim Keller in his book, King's Cross. Um, This is a passage that has just stuck with me as I've been preparing this uh, message. And it's one where, I don't know if you've had this happen to you, but if you're reading and you've been thinking thoughts and you read somebody else like this in a book, you're like, dude, that's exactly what I was thinking. I, I couldn't say it better than what they just said. And so this is it here. It says, influence gained through power and control doesn't change society. It doesn't change hearts. Jesus calls us to a totally different approach. In this book, King's Cross, Tim is talking about this passage right here, this event that happened in the life of Jesus. He says this, again, continues, that he calls us to be so sacrificially loving that the people around us who don't believe what we believe will soon be unable to imagine the place without us. Mm. They'll trust us because they'll see that we're not only out for ourselves or yourself, but out for them too. When they voluntarily begin to look up to you because of the attractiveness of your service and love, you'll have real influence. This is my favorite line. It'll be an influence given to you by others, not taken from you or by you from others. If at the heart of our worldview is a man dying for his enemies, then the way we're going to win influence in society is through service rather than power and control. See, Jesus gives them and us the example of the kind of servant that he's talking about. He says, for I, the son of man, that was a term he used often for himself, did not come here to be served. And if anybody could have been served or shown up on our planet and have been served and things and him worship, it would have been Jesus. But that's not why he came. See what he does, he says, listen, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. And what Jesus is doing here at the end of that passage That verse, verse 28, when he speaks of this ransom, he's saying, I am paying a price. I'm going to die for you. He's saying, listen, he's connecting it back. He's like, remember what we just talked about over here? That we're going to Jerusalem? I'm going to be mocked. I'm going to be humiliated. I'm going to be beaten to a bloody pulp. I'm going to become unrecognizable. I'm going to be crucified. I'm doing that to take your place. That's what he's talking about. And he ties it back into that passion prediction to make sure they don't miss the point. He's saying, that's how you need to serve. You need to serve so selflessly and so sacrificially that one day the people in your world, where you work, where you go to school, where you shop, everything like that's your world, they're going to soon be unable to imagine their world, the place where you're at, without you because you're making such a huge difference. You're turning their world, you're turning the world upside down. That's what Jesus calls us to. And what are we free from? Why is he taking our place? He's doing that to free us from the slavery and condemnation of sin. He's taking our place because he loves us so much. Jesus wants to use you. He wants to use me to build his kingdom. He does, he chooses to. And he calls us to serve selflessly and sacrificially like he did. 
This is how he wants us to serve others. Because when we serve others, we become more and more and more like Jesus. Because at the heartbeat of Jesus is service. He just said, the whole reason I came was to serve. And so we're just like Jesus when we serve. Because it's in the living for Jesus and serving others that he did that we find our calling in life. So we're gonna get really practical. How can we change the world? How can we turn the world upside down? These are great questions and I'm so glad that you all are asking them. Here's the thing, again, I'm saying really practical. We have many opportunities for you to serve. A lot happened on Sundays and a lot happened throughout the week. You can become a world changer by getting connected. You can get plugged in to serving opportunities. And so in talking this way, like, hey, we'd love to have you serve with us, there's a couple hesitations. I don't want to say excuses, it's too harsh of a term, but just reasons that people are hesitant to jump in. One is time. I just, I'm busy. And if I'm honest, listen, we're all busy, aren't we? I mean, it's been 18 months, like it's crazy. And so we understand. And so we want you to know that we are flexible. If you can serve once a month, great. Once every other month, awesome. Every other week, whatever, we are flexible. So that's, don't use that. Don't worry about that. It's okay. We want you to build God's kingdom with us. It'd be an honor to have you with us. And so others that we hear is, listen, um, another statement. It's like, what if I begin serving? Let's face it. I mean, it, this happens. Like, what if I jump in here and I realize it's just not me? Am I stuck? Do I have to stay here? Because I know people might start counting on me. And if that happens and I need to back out, then I'm, you know, kind of leaving them high and dry. And it's just, it's just not good. So, you know, I'm just, I'm just not going to. I'd rather not have that happen. You know, we understand. And here's the thing. If you're not happy there, we don't want you there. And so we're going to have open conversations with you. You're not going to say, okay, yep, you're stuck in here. No, we're going to say, hey, how are you liking it? What's happening? Well, I, I kind of don't like it. Okay, let's find something else for you. Like we encourage you to try different ministries, different areas of serving until you find the one where you just like, you can't imagine not doing it. Like this is so fun. I find joy, pleasure. I feel like I'm living a life of significance. That's what we want for you. That's what God wants for you. And so we'll find that. So for an example, if you hate babies, all right, we're not gonna put you down in the infant nursery. We're just not. Some of you thinking, I am not raising my hand if he asks right now. I do not hate babies. Just don't wanna work with them. It's okay, right? We get it. But however, if you love babies, right? The smell, smell of a newborn, there's just something there, right? The cuddles, the smiles, the coos, the other cute noises that they make. And maybe some of you are kind of on the, the crazy edge and you like the not so cute noises that they make. If that's you, you can change the world by loving and caring for that baby. How does that happen? What do you mean by that? I mean this, that God created that baby. He created all of us when we were that young with a need to be loved. At that age, our brains are still forming. The neurons are still forming in our mind where we get to understand that, oh, we're connecting dots, if you will, with facial expressions. And so as we're smiling and loving on this baby, they're reading, they're interpreting this like, oh, that's what it means to love. Like we're instinctively telling this child that there is a God who loves them, that there is a God who cares about them and sees them, that we can change the world in this baby's life and change the world by serving this baby and taking care of them. We can change the world through serving babies. You can change the world by serving kids. 
serving students, the next generation. We can by serving adults. We take the world's script and we flip it upside down and we build God's kingdom through service. Imagine with me if we began to live like that. Imagine if we decided today that we are going to become a world changer. That we're gonna change the world through loving others sacrificially. So much so that those around us will one day be unable to imagine the place without us. Imagine with me the day when those closest to us radiate with a healthy pride, when they tell stories of how we served others and that we served a life of significance because we loved them, but then we loved others around us. And you know what? They ended up changing the world. That can happen and that is the life that's found in Jesus. So we're gonna get even more practical. So if you're ready today to jump and say, I want to be a world changer, you can. Here's how you do it. The seat back in front of you is this, looking, this connect card right here you're gonna see. We have opportunities right here and now for you to begin becoming a world changer. What you'll do is you just take out your smartphone if you have one, you're gonna open up your camera and all you're gonna do is just kind of get the view in there and you'll see a link just popped up. You're gonna click on that link. The page is gonna come up and you'll see another link for you to click. This is next steps. When you open that up, you're gonna see Sunday opportunities, and online opportunities, or excuse me, throughout the week opportunities. Those of you joining us online, you can click the connect with the online pastor. That's me. I will be in touch with you this week. You can do that if you're ready right now, like I wanna jump in. And of those opportunities, pick one. Remember, you're not stuck. We'll help you. We'll find one that you can just radiate in and love and it'll be a joy for you. Others, if you're not sure, like, you know, I just, I look at these ones, options on here. I don't know which one. You know what? We got you covered too. Don't worry about that. And your way out, go to the next steps wall. It's right out here as you're walking, it'll be on your right. There's people there who will love to talk with you and just say, hey, we think, you know, from our conversation, this might be a good fit for you. But remember, you're not stuck. You'll try different ones as well. Because you want to change the world. Let's serve others. Let's pray. Jesus, as we close our time together, we thank you for your example that you served us and the world so selflessly and so sacrificially. May we follow in your example. God, I pray here right now with those of us in the room and those who are online that, God, we choose to step out of a comfort zone if necessary and just jump in somewhere to serve, to become a world changer. And so God, as we begin to also partake in communion now, where we pray, as we pause, that you forgive us of our sins, Lord. Your word tells us that we should examine ourselves. Because God, we, we love you and we need you. And that as you came to give your life as a ransom for us, we're gonna remember back to that night when you gave your all so that we could have life and that we could have it to the full. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for all that you do for us, Jesus. In your name we pray, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com or check us out on social media. 